the way that we really connect to each other is by being present in ourselves and not drawn through the screen, but instead drawing ourselves in to be wholly present in our bodies, mind and body united right here, right now, breathing, feeling, thinking, this this organism, this space right here, this is very real, it's not virtual, and deeply connected to all of you. I'm far more connected to you here in my body, in my feelings, and in my thoughts than I am through the, the electronic images on the screen, right? And, and so that's where I wanna be. Um, that's where I wanna entrust my awareness. Uh, and have faith in, in our deep togetherness, our true togetherness, right here, right now. Mm. So as um, a few of the Sangha members uh, have already done, well, welcome. Welcome to the beginning of this retreat. Uh, here we each are. Um, and so as we continue to practice together, we can keep that energy of uh, welcome alive, that, uh, that fresh beginner energy, like there we are, just coming home to ourselves right now, just coming home to be more present than we were the, the last moment. Right, that next breath bringing us closer and deeper into ourselves. Mm. We can welcome ourselves into this moment of life continuously through the retreat. Yeah, mm. please do so um, for yourself. And then please do so also for each one of us, all of us who are also present uh, on these virtual calls because we are really doing this together. I mean, would you be sitting here looking at this screen, right? If we weren't all here? No, you would be doing something else. So we're doing this together. So we, we welcome ourselves home to the moment, but we're also welcoming each other each time we are successful in bringing ourselves a little closer to the realization of this moment of life. Yeah, for me, but also for us, right? For you, but also for all of us. And then I would also like to welcome all the other beings whom each one of us bring to the retreat. Uh, each one of us has parents and grandparents and ancestors very much alive and sometimes thriving and sometimes struggling within us, <laughs> right? And all of our, all of our ancestors are, are coming on this retreat also. So welcome to all of them. Mm, welcome to all of the virtues and capacities that we each have. Things like uh, our patience, our deep listening, our understanding, our insight and compassion. These, these qualities that have been nourished in us by many mentors and authors and Sangha friends and teachers and ancient traditions of practice. So all of our spiritual family and spiritual ancestors also are welcomed. Uh, welcomed into this retreat. Mm. And then, of course, there are also the many beings of our land, the places that we inhabit, who have to be part of our retreat. If we are here, they are here. <laughs> uh, and that includes all the microorganisms who are moving around through us and around us. And it also includes the the, uh, the stones, the soils, the plants and the flowers maybe budding with spring, right? The animals, the other people in our communities, in our towns, 
and our ancestors of this land, the people who lived and walked and hunted and ate and gathered and celebrated here for hundreds and thousands of years. Uh, too many different names of too many families and peoples to, to call out by name, but so many of them are here and I'd like to make that space right now of awareness to welcome them. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, even just right there, oh, I feel good. I feel really good starting a retreat with an awareness like that of how how personal this is, but also how collectively important what we do with our time, how we breathe, how we walk, how we look upon each other, smile, how we care for the wounds in us and how we celebrate the joys, how important all of this is for us personally, but for the vast collective that we are also. Our sanghas, I want to speak a little bit about the collectivity of our sanghas, our communities of practice, and how precious they are. Uh, I'm finding myself drawn to want to talk about, to speak about how precious they are by talking about not preciousness things too, right? You know that you contrast something, it makes it clear. Um, <laughs> so there's this experience that a lot of us are having these days after more than a year of um, a pandemic and so many changes that were brought seemingly from the outside uh -huh. <laughs> to each one of us uh, and how many challenges we may have gone through. But one of the big things that's happened is we've, we've all learned to connect through our computers, through the internet. And um, a lot of us also experience some fatigue in relationship to this. Uh, and I'm sure in some circles it's it's a thing, like Zoom fatigue or something like that, right? So for me, there's something very real in that. Uh, I'm actually usually very excited to connect with people, even if it's over Zoom. So I'm not so much suffering Zoom fatigue, but I'm very aware of the difference between having my sangha gather online and sitting in a room or walking together in the park, right? There's a big difference. And we are incredible, resilient beings. We adapt so quickly. And we all have adapted so quickly to so many different things in the last year that we never really imagined we would have to. And we have shaped many new normals, right? Many different ways in which this year has unfolded has, has reshaped what is normal for us, many different places of our lives. And in that way of adapting so quickly and so ably to new situations, we also tend, as we always do, to seek a certain comfort. And usually that's unconscious. So a lot of us have grown very accustomed, even though we may not like it, to meeting online. But along with that, we've grown comfortable without knowing it to certain new patterns that have developed. And we run the risk of growing comfortable, finding it normal to not have 
that brilliant inspiration that comes when you sit together with your Sangha in the same space, when you walk together, breathing that same air, feeling that same sunshine and that soft earth under your feet, right? The magic of being together with other living beings and traveling this path on the earth together with other living beings can become a, a fading memory and has for many of us dropped back in its importance. And what's important is sort of just getting by. I've got so many things I have to take care of and I'm fatigued and I'm tired and I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed. I just can't imagine like doing more with the Sangha, right? And I sort of calling that out as a warning for us to be careful. Be careful that we don't slip into the disconnect and the apathy that can come with uh, not having this vibrant living connection that we may have had before with our Sangha. Yeah. Mm. We lose our bodhicitta. We lose our aspiration to really practice. And instead we just get a little bit of comfort from touching the edges of our practice. We go Dharma light. Dharma light, like just a little bit. That's, that's all I need, just a little bit. Okay, brightens my day a little bit. Now I'm gonna take care of the more important things, like this stress, that stress, this overwhelm, that craziness, right? And just a little bit of Dharma lightness, just to fill in the spaces here and there. A little touch of it online, get reminded. Oh, but it's so different if you really take those many hours to go commit to be with your Sangha siblings and let their vibrant life force become part of you and you become part of them. And that walking and breathing and sitting and looking deeply and sharing and connecting together. Oh. So please let us not lose sight of that even though we're online. And oh my gosh, if you have the opportunity to come out tomorrow for walking meditation, you better do it. <laughs> to meet together in the park and really enjoy singing songs together and walking together and feeling your strong bodhicitta flowing and alive, the collective awakening of our collective mind. Yeah. Mm. Well, thanks for listening to me a little bit there. Uh, these things have been uh, um, brewing in me. Uh, so in Morning Sun, I've, I've been very fortunate to live in a community where a bunch of my neighbors are practitioners. So this whole year, I haven't had to go very far at all to meet other practitioners. And I've had the opportunity to do a lot of walking together with folks. And um, last spring, we, a small group of us would meet indoors, even masked, socially distanced, windows open, and do, you know, four or five times a week, we were having long sitting meditations and chantings and things. And we then moved that outdoors when we grew a little bit larger and we sat through the summer and the fall season outdoors a lot. But then when it came to late fall into November and December and it was getting cold and the snow started getting deep, everybody started feeling like, well, I don't really wanna spend two and a half hours sitting out here in this freezing cold, right? And, and practicing. So, so we started to go remote. And it was only this spring that that changed again. And we went outside and sat together in our circle garden and began our outdoor practice again. And um, something that's been a wonderful new normal for us is that we've done really long walks. And every Sunday we have some sitting and some Dharma sharing, some checking in and singing, but we, we go for a long hike, a quiet, a mindful hike, right? A silent hike somewhere off in the land. And after walking for 25 or 30 minutes, we'll sit down and then sit quietly outdoors just to sit and enjoy whatever is coming with the weather, whatever's coming, whatever's there. And maybe we'll have a little Dharma sharing there, check in, or maybe not, or we'll just walk quietly back another half an hour. And these long moments have been tremendously nourishing for me. 
one such uh, Sunday not too long ago, we walked along the north side of Blueberry Pond in the forest. Blueberry Pond is our big pond at Morning Sun. It's kind of a small lake to some people, but technically it's a pond. That's well, about 10 acres of water. And we're walking through the forest and we slowed down as we neared a clearing where we were going to sit. Just before the clearing, we crossed two little streamlets of water and soft, mushy ground because the snow melt had been recent enough that we were still having the effects, this water trickling down the hillsides to the pond. As I stepped across the one, I looked at it and I listened to it and I felt this bright movement of the water moving through the moss and the stones and the little tinkling sound of it. And I continued walking and then we stepped across another one, a soft, mushy soil and moss and then the stones and the water. And I stopped a little longer with that one and looked off to my left to watch it as it wove its way through the trees, down to the edge of the pond and into the pond. And then a few more steps into the clearing and I prepared my spot and I sat down and I settled in and I opened my awareness to the space where we were. The sound of the little rivulets trickling over the stones down to the water, the beautiful vista, the light of the sun in the sky reflected in the water, the shadows of the trees. And I looked at this pond and I thought about my practice. I thought about our practice, the Mahasanga's practice. And I thought about these little rivulets of water, these little streams that were coming from the snow melt down through the forest. And slowly, 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 little trickle by little trickle, filling up this big pond, this very large body of water, a source of life and nourishment for millions of living beings. <sighs> I was thinking about our practice, our daily practice, the little ways each day where we remember to come home to ourselves, that little trickling stream of practice through the day. Take those few breaths and release that little stress and come home to yourself. Wash your dishes and see the miracle of the water and the washing and so on and so on. These little moments through the day where we, we remember the preciousness of that moment and we come home to ourselves are like those little streams of practice slowly, slowly filling up the pond. But then I also thought about the pond. Thought, you know, and the pond is something special in and of itself, the shape of the soil of the land, right? For without that shape, like a bowl, without that container, those little rivulets would just keep flowing down in a way. But because of that container, they pause for a time and they settle and they fill up and they become a vast resource. Mm. That particular pond has a family of beavers that have been there for quite a, quite a while. And they always maintain the edges of that pond, especially where the water flows over. They pack the mud and the sticks and such there. So those beavers and the shape of the land are very important for creating that pond. Mm. So those beavers, they took on the shape of the mindfulness trainings for me in my contemplation. Right, how it is that I protect my practice, protect the energy of practice, the choices I make in my life of how to move through my day and how that can protect this reservoir of energy, of presence, of understanding, of compassion that can be slowly built, filled by my little practices through the day and the mindfulness trainings protect that they hold, they make that container protect me and how I nourish that capacity in other ways by doing things like this, like this retreat deeply nourishes my capacity of practice, helps to create a stable and strong container in which a reservoir of practice energy, right, 
can 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 fill, can can be can manifest itself. So with these different elements, uh, something very important and beautiful emerged out of the landscape for me, reflecting on my practice and on the practice of our community. And I thought about it in the context of my morning sun, sisters and brothers, and how we how we do this, you know, and I could see how there are times when we are little trickling streams almost dried up in our daily practice. And then there are times when we are really, our snow melt is good and there's a lot of water flowing into the pond and there might be, may even be springs coming up from underneath, right? Uh, and I could see also in our community how our practice of the mindfulness trainings, our ability to protect that practice, sometimes, you know, sometimes the beavers take a break. <laughs> And then the water starts to spill out, starts to leak out, right? And I no longer can feel the strong energy of our shared practice. And I can see that in myself. I can see that in my Sangha. I can see that in our Maha Sangha, our larger community spread around the world. Mm. In Buddhism, uh, we call um, like that, the experience of like, you don't take care, the beavers don't take care of that edge of the pond and it begins to fall apart and the reservoir of your energy spills out that kind of a leak of energy. We call that ashrava, A-S-R-A-V-A, -A -A, asrava, ashrava. And more traditionally, it would be translated as a, you know, a kind of an affliction or an obstruction or something like that. But one of the words Thai used to to call it was the way he would translate it is a leak, a leak. I was thinking about that too. Where are the leaks in my practice? How is it that I neglect my, my pond, my reservoir? Where is it that I don't protect my capacity for presence, for understanding, for compassion? Um, because there are places like that where I'm not so diligent or whether I just say, okay, I'll, you know, just keep going with this, even though I know it's not really nourishing me. Or I get so drawn into a story of suffering that I keep soaking it in and soaking it in and soaking it in and not realizing I'm losing a lot of energy there. You know, the way you might find something on one of your news feeds or podcasts or something like that. And you just keep following it, keep following it. Mm. Or if like, if you're reading a really good book and you get so drawn into the book that you sort of forget about your life <laughs> for like a week while you're reading that book and things go into neglect and you lose a lot of energy. And then when you finally try to figure out where you are, like, whoa, where am I? And you're walking to your kitchen and it looks like a foreign place. Right, that that kind of experience. This is this is the beavers taking a break, right? And you, you lost your presence for a while. You didn't pay attention, and the water all started to leak out. Mm. This is really a story about capacity and taking care of our capacity. We all have uh, a certain capacity and we can grow that capacity to be um, quite a wonderful force in the world or we can lose it, right? And it can be uh, almost as if we are a drain on the capacity of others even, right? Capacity. This is a capacity for being mindful, being present, being fully alive. This is a capacity for having the space inside to listen deeply to ourselves and understand what we truly need in order to be happy or listening deeply to someone else and seeing what they need in terms of support and care and truly perceiving that and not just running along with the assumptions or, or learnings we have of the past. This is a capacity to have insight into the nature of our non-separation, our deep togetherness, our interbeing. 
and our capacity to make use of that insight to express our compassion in the world. That's what I'm talking about in terms of capacity, right? Mm. The Buddha talked about capacity in a lot of different ways in his teachings. And one of the ones that's really simple and quite clear, I like, it's called the simile of the salt. And this is where the Buddha said, if you, you take a, a handful of salt and you drop it into a cup of water, you stir it up, immediately that water becomes undrinkable, right? It's too salty. It'll be like a poison if you drink it. It's too much. But if you took that same handful of salt and you dropped it in a great river or a pond, right? A large pond or lake. The water's fine. Right? <laughs> What's the difference here? It's the capacity in the water. The capacity of that small cup of water to absorb the salt is very small, but the capacity in the large body of water to absorb that same amount of salt is, is quite vast, it's great, can be done. Mm. This kind of expression um, inspires us, leads us in our practice to develop our capacity so that we can meet uh, salty situations. <laughs> like difficult situations, situations that are potentially dangerous or harmful, right? But we want to be able to meet those situations of suffering where there are wounds, where there's pain, where there's anger, sadness, despair, right? Situations like that where we, as a practitioner, you want to be able to go into that situation and have the capacity to hold it. You don't want to have to run away or hide from it. You don't want to have to pretend like it's not there. You want to acknowledge, yes, that suffering is there. And I'm going to try with to have a capacity to be able to embrace, understand, and transform it. So that's the, the, direct, the, the, the inspiration, the indication that comes through that story or the simile of the salt. How we grow our capacity to meet difficult situations, to transform them. Um, in many of the sutras, there's even words that are used, at least in English, there, there's words that are translated into English as um, to endure or even to forbear, right? But to have a capacity where one can endure, where one can forbear in the midst of a deep and powerful suffering. And that's a little bit tricky um, because there are also situations of suffering that even if we've got a lake, is still too much salt, <laughs> right? So we have to be intelligent and we have to know when we're at our limit. We have to know whether we've got enough energy to handle the difficulty that we're intending to handle. And that's part of our practice is to be aware of ourselves enough that we know what our capacity is so that when too much salt is presented, we're able to say, oh, I'm not gonna be very good at that. I shouldn't try to take that on right now. I need to nourish my capacity some and we know to step back and to build more capacity, more space before we attempt that. Yet we're exposed to so many stories of suffering and we just like throw it all over the place. We read it, we look at it, we listen to it, we follow it, right? That's one of those fancy words now with the modern way, we follow this, follow that. And when you are just following a story here and following a story there, do you know what's happening to the seeds of suffering in your heart? If that story has suffering in it, they're being touched over and over and over again. And we may not realize that our capacity is dwindling or that that salt is increasing in its quantity. Yeah. So we need to have an eye on ourselves and take care of ourselves in such a way that we were able to nourish that capacity for presence and understanding, compassion. 
the Buddha gave another example for this. He said, if you are walking down the village street and suddenly a raging elephant comes running down the street, get out of the way. That's what I said, get out of the way. Why? Why would you get out of the way? You're supposed to have the capacity to handle big situations of suffering because if that elephant is raging down the street, you will be trampled, right? So I'm sure some of us can think of situations in our lives where we met trauma and abuse and, and pain and suffering that was too great for us. And it was like being trampled by an elephant, right? And the Buddha advises us, if we can see that that's what's happening, get out of the way, remove yourself from that threat, from that danger, because you won't be much use to anyone, you know, lying in the road after that elephant gets, runs by. So I like to add a little bit to that story. I like to say, get out of the way and then organize with the other villagers to subdue the elephant so that he doesn't destroy the whole neighborhood. And I can see that that's an important part of what we do as our collective work, right? Um, when we recognize a, a collective threat, a threat that's too big for one of us, we must gather together to create the conditions that help to contain that threat so that we can help to transform the situation. Mm. I'll let you interpret that, those stories into various situations you may have or you're thinking about in your life or in the world. Um, but for me, those are important uh, indications, the simile of the salt and the raging elephant. One on the one side, encouraging me to grow my capacity and the other, like, don't worry if you don't have enough, step out of the way, right? Don't, don't, don't try to forbear when, that, when it's too much, right? Take your space, take your time. Create heartfelt spaciousness, right? What this retreat is intending to do, right? Create that space for yourself. Mm. So through this retreat, I will try to share more about these sorts of practices, protecting and nourishing our capacity in terms of the work of the beavers, and also about the trickle of practice and developing our, our practice and our insight in order to fill that reservoir up and, uh, and develop our capacity. Mm. So, in the description of this retreat, I don't know how many of you actually read it. I hope you did, because I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, I have been reading the Avatamsaka Sutra. So what does a Dharma teacher do when they have a little extra time on their hands, right? They, they pick up a translation of a sutra that's 1600 pages long. And they dive in and they, they find all these things they really enjoy, right? Uh, um, and I, actually, I don't have any extra time on my hands. I just knew that I needed something fresh and new. So I started to read some of the chapters uh, in the middle of the flower ornament scripture, as it's called, flower ornament sutra. The flower ornament is really an image that refers to interbeing, right? And the deep, um, it's even deeper than the interconnection between all things, because interbeing is about more than just connection between two different things. When we inter are, we are each other. It's not that we're two different things that are connected, but we actually are each other. Really the flower ornament image and the whole book is about that kind of teaching. But in the midst of it, it has this incredible practical advice, chapter after chapter of, of encouragement in the practice. It's the journey, 
that a bodhisattva goes on and slowly finds their way through all the realms of awakening, right? And all the instruction that the bodhisattva receives along the way. And there's different layers of it and there's repetition in it and there's prose and poetry. It's just, it's, this sutra would be like a, a fantastic opera that was like hundred hours long um, where there's realm upon realm within realm upon realm upon realm within realm and so on and so on of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas all interacting, right? And it's just constantly painting this picture of interbeing. But at the same time, it gives you the practical advice too uh, for your daily life. So it's both the ultimate dimension our deeper reality, our interbeing nature, and the tools we need to make our way through our daily life. So this, these chapters I was reading are about the, the bodhisattva called Forest of Virtue. And Forest of Virtue, along with a number of other bodhisattvas, has this particular uh, strong um, enlightenment moment. And through that moment is sort of tasked but the power of the awakening is tasked with expounding these teachings. And chapter after chapter does these, this series of teachings. Um, first, uh, an explanation, as a summary, and then a long explanation, and then poetry about it, right? Each, each chapter has that. It's really fantastic for someone like me. You might find it absolutely boring and and weird if you read it because it's got some really strange language in it too. But for me, this is a kind of thing that gets me churning inside with an inspiration because I feel the same kind of enthusiasm and joy that I think Bodhisattva Forest of Virtue experiences to be on the path of awakening. I love it so much, right? And this bodhisattva is so inspired by the practice that they just, they have to pronounce this and share this and go through all this effort to expound these teachings because they care so much about the path of practice being continued, being carried forward and supporting everyone in any way to take this up, to not regress, to persevere, to heal, to learn, to grow, to go forward, to awaken, to, to call on all the ancestors and the Buddhas of the past and channel them all into the awakening of this moment into the future. It's, 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 um, it's bodhicitta. <laughs> and it's what I is really wanting to come out in me now, especially after months and months of Zoom <laughs> and feeling the fatigue of these changes that, that we have all been thrust into. I want so much for us to stay strong in our commitment to keep the lineage of awakening alive. To keep us rolling. Well, the Bodhisattva Forest of Virtues shares about a whole different set of practices, these 10 great practices, and also shares about 10 treasuries and we're not going to study this during this retreat because it's way too much but i'm going to try to pull little pieces that have been inspiring to me out of it here and there i just want to let you know that tonight that i'm going to be doing some of that um, from both the practices section the 10 practices and the 10 treasuries uh, the 10 treasuries in particular, because they're so much fun. Mm. Okay, okay, I'm going to do a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit. So the first treasury is the treasury of faith. This is really what my hope is tonight, that we... We get to the into the faith of all this that the first treasury is faith and it's based on understanding that there is something that i can understand and do in this moment to be on a path of practice in the first place right i can come home to my breathing and my body my feelings and my mind 
I can rejuvenate myself, right? With simple practices of mindfulness. And as I do that, I experience the fruit of the practice. I feel my stresses fall away and I feel my joy wake up within me, right? And I can have confidence in my capacity to do that. That's the kind of faith that's in the treasury of faith, right? There's a lot more, but that's, that's, that's where we're going. We get that faith in the practice, which leads us to ethics. Ethics is the second treasury. Ethics is like the mindfulness trainings, right? How do I, how do I go about living my life to, to, um, to express this faith and understanding that I have in practice? Yeah. And then the ethics lead to, this is a tough one for some of us because we get it mixed up with guilt, but shame, the treasury of shame which is the ability to, to recognize that I have made mistakes, that I am not perfect, right? That I come up short, not to drown in it, not to get all guilt-ridden about it, but to recognize that. And because of that, be able to see that there's something I can do which is different, right? Something I can do which does not cause the suffering. And I can learn to cultivate a beautiful way out of the suffering way that I used to, right? That's, that's the function of the shame. It's faith, ethics, shame. And through shame comes conscience, which is very close to shame. It's the continuation, the develop of this conscience, this moral compass. And then when, when the faith, the ethics, the shame, and the conscience are all developing, the fifth treasury is learning. And there's incredible things to learn through the Dharma. Right. And from learning comes the uh, expression of giving, dana, and sharing with others, connecting with others. Generosity, the selflessness of our action, right? And through learning and giving arise the deeper wisdom. And from that wisdom, then the last three treasuries, they're really lofty at least in the Avatamsaka Sutra, they're expressed in very lofty ways. They're like the high enlightenments of um, uh, deep recollection, um, uh, which includes like, it's kind of like all your past lives and all that kind of stuff, right? So the deep recollection of, of truth in the world. And then the, uh, the ninth treasury is the preservation of all this, which is part of this, what I'm talking about, this aspiration to keep the path alive and keep it going, um, preservation. And the last one is elocution, which is the, these, uh, the completion of the path is so profound that one is able to share it in every form, in every place, in every moment, through any obstacle. Right. So this is the kind of thing that's in the Avatamsaka Sutra. <laughs> and the 10 treasuries are there, but inside each one of those is all this incredible practical advice. But it starts with faith. It starts with realizing, wait a minute, I can do something in this moment to live my life deeply. I can do something in this moment to bring about understanding in myself or in the world. I can do something in this moment to express my compassion. Right? I have faith and confidence. There are other teachings, sets of teachings of the Buddha, um, not the Mahayana tradition, but in the, the older teachings, the actual words of the Buddha where you hear these same things about faith and energy, um, dedicating oneself to the path and being diligent in one's practice, all these things, this is all the same energy. I really hope that you feel that you in this moment of your life matter. That you as an individual personally matter that you are a part of this amazing manifestation of a planet, this 
this interweaving of all of our different life forms, interbeing of all of our different beings. Yeah. That you matter in that. Because if you matter, then the way that you breathe right now, the way that you hold yourself in your body, the way that you take care of the feelings stirring in and around you, the way that you think about yourself, the way you think about your loved ones, the way you think about your, your people, your clan, your city, your town, your community, the way you think about your politics, the way you think about our Mother Earth, the way you think about race and discrimination and injustice, the way you think these things, all of it matters. This is quite a different kind of orientation than usual, isn't it? Let's go a little more traditional. Oh, you, Sue likes it. Okay. Um, let, let's go a little more traditional now. Let's let these thoughts settle and really come home and come into a kind of, I'm going to guide us into a kind of a meditation, a being present uh, where we can... Oops, where we can shed the worries and the stresses we've been carrying. So yeah, I see a few of you shifting around. If you need to, like find yourself comfortable. Set up the support of um, cushions or whatever you need to feel upright and relaxed and also stable. Hmm. And we'll do some protecting and nourishing, some beaver work right now to, to shore up a little bit of the edges of our ponds, our reservoirs of, of mindfulness. And we'll allow those streams of the breath and of life and its nourishment to trickle in. So with the posture stable, with the posture relaxed, Notice the breath. Our nervous system will, will tell our body what to do. We don't have to do anything. There's a deeper level of our consciousness at work to, to guide the muscles in our body to do the breathing. So all we need to do is follow this story of in-breath and out-breath, maybe noticing the air on the tip of the nose or lips, maybe noticing it in the throat, the neck, maybe feeling the expansion in the lungs or the pressing down into the abdomen Breathing in and the releasing, breathing out. If the breath seems a little elusive to you, there are other senses alive and at work in this moment. Like your eyes taking in colors and shapes. If you become aware of your eyes and you become aware of the colors and shapes that they see, you are also being brought with awareness into the moment. If you become aware of your ears and the sounds that you hear, your senses are alert and awake in this moment. Any contact with the body, the foot or ankle against the cushion or chair or floor, the, your back against the, the sofa or the clothes on your wrist.
the smell in your nose, the taste in your mouth. And the breath moving in and out of the body. Breathing in, I am aware of breathing in. And breathing out, I'm aware of breathing out. I feel the body of my breath happening in and out. When the mind jumps or wanders or gets interested in this or in that, I bring it back to the simple thought of feeling the in-breath. Dear mind, come help me notice my in-breath. Come help me notice my senses in the present moment. Dear mind, notice the out-breath with me. Notice the feelings. Experience the gathering in. Let the mind take that shape, the gathering in of in-breath. Let the mind take the shape of gathering out with the, or sorry, releasing out with the out-breath. With the gathering in presence, like a candle's flame burning inside. With the releasing out, the settling down, and the shedding of tension and of stress that's not necessary in this moment. There are muscles relaxing in the out-breath. Feel them relaxing. There are worries falling away with the out-breath. Feel them falling away. Allow your heart to open and soften a little bit and perhaps invite the experience of enjoyment, the release of tension in the body is enjoyable. Maybe let that happen around your eyes and your lips a little bit, help it just for a moment and then relax and see if that smile can happen. The pleasure of releasing tension in the body with the out-breath. See if that smile can happen when you, you realize in this moment you don't need to carry the stress of your project, of your relationships, the obligations to care for others right now. This is about coming home to be with yourself. And it's enjoyable to let go of concerns and obligations and worries. And let that enjoyment happen. Falling away of tension and stress reveals a spaciousness and an ease, a pleasure of spaciousness and ease, a pleasure of connecting with oneself. Breath by breath, releasing the layers letting go, coming home and nourishing. And you might like to shape the intention, perhaps even the aspiration or the vow for the next few days to really not lose yourself in distraction from this kind of care and presence in your own heart, mind, and body. 
make that aspiration, that intention to not be caught by the things that usually catch you, to be softened and fall away in the leaks that are normally there in the daily life, and instead to be vigilant, present, awake and alive, protecting yourself with your eyes and ears, your nose, your tongue, your body, your mind, protecting yourself in all the ways that you would normally slip and wander, keeping that capacity for presence, alert, awake, and alive, keeping it intact. Breathing in, I shape the intention to stay strong in my practice, to protect myself, my eyes, my ears, my nose, tongue, body, and my mind. To protect myself from distractions, worries, stress, from my cravings, from my angers and hatreds, not to suppress anything, but not to let those energies carry me away. Instead, to make a space where they can be held and understood, where my loneliness can have a home, where my sadness can be embraced, where my fear can be acknowledged, accepted, cared for. Or my anger can grow calm. Breathing in and out, I rest here in this warm, open presence that I have with myself. And breathing in and out, I also invite my spiritual ancestors to help me in my practice. Some of my spiritual ancestors are alive around me in Missoula, in Helena, in Bozeman, in Kalispell, in Idaho, in Wyoming, in Virginia, in New Hampshire, in, my, in the shape and form of my Sangha. I invite my Sangha to help me breathe, to help me release my stress and worry, to help me embrace my anger, my fear, to help me understand to help me have love and compassion for myself and for the world. And I invite teachers of past ages, I invite Tai and the lineage of the Tu Hu temple in Vietnam, the matriarchs and patriarchs who have brought these precious teachings to me over many centuries. And the Buddha and his Sangha. And also the other spiritual and religious traditions that have nourished me, that have nourished my presence, my peacefulness, my understanding my love. Dear spiritual family, 
dear spiritual ancestors, breathe with me. Strengthen me. Nourish my practice. Carry me forward on the path. I know that I am not alone. And I open my body, my breathing, my loving, tender heart, and my mind, sometimes distracted and sometimes clear. I open all of me to allow your support and protection breathing in and out with my spiritual family, with my spiritual ancestors, holding and embracing me, strengthening and nourishing me. We walk together hand in hand only one set of footprints remains. So dear friends, although I didn't like indicate a lot of technical stuff, I went over a lot of technical stuff in that meditation. Uh, through the weekend, you can bring your attention to your senses, to help you be grounded in this moment, in this place, and especially not to be drawn through the screen, but to be drawn home into yourself in the room, place where you are, the hammock if you're still in the hammock, right? Mm. Your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and the sensations all through the body are happening right here, right now, just like the breath is, right? So these are the ways, the doors through which we come home to ourselves, come home to life in the moment, Please continue that practice through the weekend, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. That's the basis. It's the basis underneath the way you sit, walk, eat, use the bathroom, talk to your friends or family in the house, etc. It's That's the basis right there. Having awareness of the, yourself in the present moment. And your eyes are always going to give you an impression from this moment. Your ears are always going to hear the vibrations of this moment. Right? Your nose is always going to smell it. Your tongue is always going to taste it. Your body's always going to feel it. These are ways in which you can come home. The breath is only going to happen here and now, not in the future, not in the past. The one trick about all that is your mind. <laughs> your mind might make you think that you're smelling something, but actually it's just a memory of the past. It might think you're seeing something, but it's actually uh, a, a twisted image right, that it's, it's made. So bring a lot of attention to calming and opening that space of the mind inwardly. That's the constant release with the out-breath that I do, always opening and making space inside to make sure that my mind isn't taking my, my present moment sensory experience and twisting it in some way. 
Actually, it's impossible not to do that, but I want to do it as little as possible. <laughs> your mind is not your mind is not capable of operating except in an obscured way. It never sees things as they are. It can only see a representation of something. Right. So hopefully the representation is very close to the truth. And that's what we're going for in our meditation. So constantly releasing and letting go inside. Uh, the emotions rise up. Okay, they're there. Don't follow them. And constantly bring yourself back to the sensations, this sensitivity to the present moment coming into that. Yeah, let that be the, the basis for your walking, for your sitting, your moving about your home and your town. Mm. Your way of listening, your way of speaking. Right? All the simple activities of our life. Yeah, let this awareness be the ground for all of that. That's mindfulness, making the making it possible to be present. I indicated also that you have the ability, I hope you pick this up, you have the ability to create the train of thought that you would like. I know sometimes it feels like the mind just runs on off by itself, but you can train your mind to not run all over the place by itself and actually to think beautiful things. <laughs> and sometimes you can even train it to run all over beautiful things. Right. <laughs> so it, if it goes into spinning itself, it's spinning beautiful thoughts, right? And sometimes you can have your thoughts very clear and intentional. So pick the thoughts that are meaningful for you. Like tell yourself the story of what you're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting. Tell yourself the story of how this in-breath feels going in, how this out-breath feels going out. If your mind needs to think about something, let it think about this process of life unfolding in the moment as you're experiencing it. Let it be responding to the actuality of your, your experience rather than just turning its own story inside and keeping your attention there. Okay. That makes sense. That's the whole reason for practice songs. So you can sing all day long your mind can run circles with songs, but they're beautiful thoughts that bring you towards insight and practice. Practice poems, they're all like that too, right? I have arrived, I am home, in the here, in the now. Let your mind tell you that story. <laughs> I feel solid, I feel free, in the ultimate I dwell, right? That's, that's the idea. Keep turning your mind towards your practice, your release of tension, your cultivation of joy, and so on. <laughs>